0: Thank you, Wendy. Thank you, Judith. Thank you, you you Singers, for leading us in that song. I really love that What Wondrous Love is this song, which she just played. I asked around this week to see if there might be a person who, would, who was willing to sing it as a solo. I think if you know it, it's not that hard to sing, but if it's unfamiliar with it, it may be challenging. And not knowing how well the congregation knew it, I didn't want to take the risk of a few voices and, uh, right before the sermon. So I began to ponder the solo idea, and I asked three people, and none of them were willing to sing it solo. I get it. I'm not a soloist myself. I'm not sure what our reluctance is to singing solo, but I can tell you that I sit up here and try to sing gathered here, and um, my voice cracks and breaks, and I understand why I don't do it. Um, Maybe it's a fear that we will humiliate ourselves, that others will judge us as unable to carry it off, or that we will actually die from embarrassment. But let me start, one person said, well, I think I should just start with a small group of singers first. And I texted back and said, what does small group mean? And he he said, well, like, you know, three or four other people. And then another one said, well, maybe with three or four others I could do it. And another one said, I'm not a good morning soloist. (laughs) I have to say that I find something deeply theological, and ontological about their responses. They inherently have this understanding that they need other people, that we need each other, and that we are more together than one of us is alone, that we are dependent on each other and on on the planet for our very survival. And there are times, yes, when we do solo, when we go solo, when we can... We have to do things by ourselves, but in in general, I think, we're just better together. On Saturday, October 6, 2018, just last year, it must have been that day, though I can find no record of it in my calendar and no mention of it in my October report to the board, I took the Metro by myself to the Supreme Court in D.C., Brett Kavanaugh was about to be confirmed, and I had missed the protest earlier in the week because of various work meetings, so it's unusual for me to go to something like this by myself, but I had seen those Facebook posts earlier in the week of other friends and ministers um, that were huddled together doing selfies there at the protest, determined to live out their values and make their voices heard and to put their bodies in place to make a statement. Many of those I knew who were there had also suffered from abuse and patriarchy at its worst and I was mostly just feeling angry and in the depths of despair for what confirmation would mean for our country and for those on the margins and those I care about and love. And frankly, how little had changed since Anita Hill challenged the confirmation of Clarence Thomas all those years ago. So that Saturday morning, off I went with cautions from my husband about how to get out of if the situation were to become dangerous and to be really aware of my surroundings. Well, of course, I would do those things. I arrived at the steps of the Capitol, and there was nothing much going on there. But there was lots of shouting across the street. So I moved toward that, searching for other clergy that I was assured would be there. I slipped my yellow stole over my head to be recognizable as clergy. Sometimes there's a respect granted to clergy by police and others, and our presence can make a difference in how marginalized folks are treated. Rather than the 20 or 40 or sometimes hundreds of clergy that is usual for protest, there were four of us. One of me, One male UU seminarian who seemed to be organizing with the organizers to get the clergy out in front of the march to lead us, to lead everyone from the Supreme Court to the steps of the Capitol, and two other women from different places in the United States. We had somehow managed to find each other in the crowd. When it was time, the four of us were positioned at the front and then asked to move very quickly. One of the organizers was walking along beside us, shouting instructions for us. Move quickly. Walk faster. When you get there, the police are going to put up barricades. Go around them. Go up the steps. Hurry, hurry, move. Keep your arms linked together. Don't let them separate you. Go around. Go around. Hurry. Get up there it was difficult to appear as the dignified and fierce clergy that we were while also trying to follow those instructions. She was right about everything. As the police saw the crowd approaching, barriers started appearing as if by magic. We continued forward. When we got close, we did indeed have to make our way around the end of the barrier. We made it up to the first steps and stopped there and turned around to face the crowds. To my surprise, swarms of people, mostly women, were coming behind us and moving over the barriers, around the barriers, finding their way Rushing up the steps past us to the top of the steps. I stood there shaking with adrenaline watching folks continue to move past until finally the police had blocked the access to the steps. I wasn't sure what I was or we were supposed to be doing. The instructions had stopped. I had no plan except to stand there with the other three ministers and wait until first one announcement, then the second announcement to move had been made. That second announcement is really important because it means if you don't move now, you, we are going to start making arrests. And if you don't leave, then it means you're willing to be arrested, and I, that's not what I wanted for that day. So I'm standing there, unsure of myself, except feeling that it was worth my being there. I began to hear a low rumble coming from behind me. I couldn't quite make out what they were saying, this group of almost all women, of all ages, but mostly younger than me. And the rumble got louder, and I could make out the words of the chant. November is coming. November is coming November is coming and it went on and on and it got louder and louder and it was very ominous for the lawmakers and it was clear November was indeed coming election day was coming in that moment I could not stop myself from turning around I had to see what it looked like behind me in addition to the chance Almost everyone up there, not when they were marching, but when they got up there, had t-shirts on underneath their jackets that said, November is coming. My heart swelled. My body both relaxed and filled with joy. I was only a witness at this event. I had no part in organizing it, no part in the coordination of the march or the chant or the coordination of all those brown t-shirts. How did this even happen with women coming, coming from all over the place? But they were in it, and they were organized, and they were determined, and they were fierce. And in that moment, what I knew was that I was not alone, and I was not afraid. If I had all these women willing to be there, willing to get themselves there, and willing to show up in other places, then I knew that they would indeed go back to their hometowns and work to get people elected who would support equality and fairness and justice, and that all was not lost. I was not alone. Sometimes it seems like we spend the first part of our lives learning how to be alone and independent and the rest of our lives learning that we are utterly dependent on each other and the planet. We learn how to take care of ourselves and then we learn how to take care of others. And we learn to love alone time while recognizing that we, none of us, make it entirely alone. Giulietta Corelli created Trouble Coffee Company in San Francisco Trouble and Julieta are responsible for the popularity of restaurants that serve $4 pieces of toast. I think there may be something like this in Ashburn, but I'm not sure. This phenomenon has been named the tip of the hipster sphere, Sphere. but some think it's ridiculous, but for Julieta, it saves her. Julieta has schizoaffective disorder and has had it since she was in high school. She would hallucinate without knowing the cause. She was finally diagnosed many many years after experiencing her first hallucinations. After several years of episodes, after many lost jobs and failed housing situations and lost roommates, she started Trouble Coffee Company. She serves coffee. Just coffee. No creamer, no decaf. She serves toast because she she serves toast, usually cinnamon toast because who can be mad at toast, she says. She serves coconuts, because they, help her, they helped her survive. And she serves grapefruit juice. She named it Trouble because that's what she calls her episodes. She made connections with customers and she wears the same outfit every day because she wants to be recognizable. She has easily recognizable tattoos, including tattooed freckles on her face. She wants people to know who she is, because if she is hallucinating, she is unable to recognize herself, and sometimes she doesn't know that she exists. Julieta may get lost for 12 hours or more on the streets of San Francisco. So she has made herself recognizable. She has created this network of rather loose connections so that she can help herself. A hello from someone who recognizes her on the street can bring her back to herself or maybe even offer her a ride to familiar surroundings. She has recognized that she cannot get through this life alone and has trust in what she built and in her fellow humans. None of us can actually do this by ourselves. Last week I shared part of Susan Frederick Gray's sermon from GA 2018. This sermon was in part a response to the events in Charlottesville of August 2017. She speaks of no time to go it alone. No time for a casual faith and no time to go it alone. She says we must help our hearts embody and practice a deeper, unbounded, unconditional, overflowing, audacious love for all humanity. And it's no time to go it alone because we need communities that teach us how to love fully in the midst of the propaganda and politics that tell our hearts to be afraid. She writes... We need communities where we can fully bring our heartbreak and the fullness of our pain and anguish, and be reminded that we are not alone, but we are held in love that never lets us go. And we are held by one another, and we will never let go. We need communities of both courage and deep practice compassion, of resilience and resistance. John Gravoy, who wrote the story about Giulietta Corelli, says that most of us spend our time developing deep ties with a few people, family, and a few close friends. But Giulietta has developed a large network of weak ties that are strong for her. And I wonder about that for us in these times. I wonder if forming weak ties with a large network is one of the ways we will survive what may come. Yes, we need deep ties, also, to be able to share vulnerably and intimately, a place to bring our heartbreak and our anguish. But we need places where we are known to others, and we know who others are. It's no time to go it alone. What may that look like in real time? It may look like that yarn web that we created earlier. Lines crossing each other from person to person, from front to back and side to side, and some across the room. Maybe we each have a snippet that matches with someone else's color or complements it. Take a moment to think about your ties, both strong and weak. What does your web look like? Whether weak or strong, connection is what we need. Church is one place where we develop those ties, where we can wear the same clothes and still be loved, where we can sing in a group or sing a solo. If we can't be vulnerable and take risk here, then where can we? And we also have to look for other places of connection, those weak ties, a woman who can't shout at a climate rally or Klezmer music in connection with others. We don't have to be best friends with the people we work with or serve with out in the community or even here at church. Just like the yarn, not all of you will know each other well, but we are still connected. The web would not look like it does if we were not all connected. All of our relationships don't have to be deep. They just have to be caring and compassionate, to see another as ourselves, to see another as hurting and in anguish, or with the joy of a life. It's just important to be connected to people right now, to know the name of the person you take your dry cleaning to, to look the grocery store clerk in the eye, and to genuinely ask, how's your day going? To go to the grocery store, maybe, instead of ordering online. To make small talk. Ask curious, open-ended questions. Ask someone if they would welcome your help. Ask for help yourself. Find the ways to stay connected to each other and to human beings who are not part of this church and those who are part of this church. The web would not look like it does if we were not all connected. The web, that beautiful interdependent web of which we are all a part, connect to it. This is truly no time to go it alone.